Hello and welcome to a Sunday morning episode that almost didn't happen. That scared me. Oh my god, Del. Haley. <laughs> Haley had no clue that I had done that and put that in. And it's oh a hidden from god. our recording screen. So she's just waiting on me to like, why aren't you talking yet? I was just about to start talking and then I heard that voice. It was the voice of God telling me you almost forgot you done effed up, A.A. Ron. That was the voice of me, okay? Oh my god. Isn't that cool? That was that was terrifying, been, but that was cool. I've been experimenting with like <laughs> voice bending stuff in audition and uh I like the idea of having that like evil voice, blah blah blah, and I'm working on stuff. But I just did that together for like two minutes before I came in to get you. Well, as Emperor Zerg said, <laughs> this episode almost didn't happen because we almost right. forgot. <laughs> this episode almost didn't happen. Welcome to the Malt House Games Podcast, episode 105. This is a podcast all about board games, card games, tabletop games, role-playing games, things of that sort. My name is Delton. I'll be your host this early Sunday morning. And with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. Howdy. Yeah, Delton, so yesterday I was getting ready to do some trainings, and I, I had to wake up at 6.30, I was getting ready, and then Delton rolls over and he says, uh, we gotta do the podcast. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> so this is a week that, like, I had Thursday off to play video games, Wednesday was wrestling, and then I played video games. We had all this time, but it just, like, we blanked on it. Completely blanked. Until like, we, Friday. We had plenty of time. No, not even Friday, yesterday. Fr- Friday night was the night that I brought it up, because, uh... I'm trying to think of what happened Friday night. I don't we even... had our role play session, and I think maybe I guess it was Saturday morning. I was like, we got to do Saturday the podcast. Morning. And at that point, I had to work. Like I had the train until six o'clock that night. He had pay per view until eleven. And so, happy Sunday morning, friends and family. Welcome. Yeah, Haley had a training yesterday from early in the morning till like five in the afternoon, and then I had gone at ten a.m. for a. Uh, draft day for Flesh and Blood at our local Edmund Unplugged, our favorite local board game cafe. And I was there from 10 until like 3.15, 3.30, because we did a draft and three play rounds and then another draft and three play rounds. And then, of course, I got cut because I suck. And then top eight, we're doing another draft. Uh, so that was a big one. But I did that and then went to Brian's house pretty much straight away. Came home, walked Margie, w- grabbed food, went there. Watched the pay-per-view till 11, and I was too tired by the time I got home at like 11.30 to even think about doing the podcast last night. And guess what I got to do yesterday? Take a nap. Excuse me? You did for like three hours. I did after. So in the morning, I worked a training. Uh, one of my friends was facilitating a, a training on suicide intervention and management for therapists. In the afternoon, I got to put on a training on using board games in therapy. And, you know, my boss pitched it to me. He's like, hey, do you want to do this training? You know, of course you get paid to do it. And I was like, ha ha, you fool. I would have done it for free. In fact, I have paid to go to Gen Con to present. Yeah. I would have paid to do this. And you're paying me, you fool. So I got to do a three-hour board game presentation yesterday on using games and therapy. And it was so much fun. And then afterwards, I made a bowl of mac and cheese, put on Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and fell asleep on the couch at 830 which is not too bad. I was trying to fall asleep at 8.30, but I had a pay-per-view to keep watching. <laughs> so I couldn't, but I was very tired, but we made it. And this morning, bright and early, we are enjoying a lovely cup of coffee. We are. This is another non-alcoholic episode, and 
we have coffee this morning, as we do with most morning episodes, I suppose. Can't drink this early. It's probably it's probably a good problem to have that I cannot stomach alcohol before lunch. So I'm not complaining, just stating. Yeah. This coffee is one Haley picked up from Natural Grocers. Did they were they just out of our usual? No, I wanted to try something new. Okay, there you go. Getting fancy. This is from Kicking Horse Coffee, and this is Smartass, has a picture of a donkey head with glasses on. Is a medium roast. It says cheeky, bright, and precocious, which does not help me actually uh, get flavors. It just means it's pretentious. I guess so, just being fancy coffee. I mean, it tastes good, so it tastes uh, almost like a Sumatra blend. It's kind of acidic at the end, but the initial taste is very smooth, but the end has a little bit of acid. Uh, it's not chocolatey like a lot of dark roasts. It's very, it's a very medium, like it's a very medium roast. It's not too light. It's not too dark. It's not bitter. It tastes very fresh. Luckily, the acidity is low because hot, like, uh, I, uh, what's the coffee? Is it Malawi? Mm-hmm. That's like a very acidic African coffee. I think a lot of the coffee from Africa is acidic. Something to do with just the... Yes, I think so. Cause like like we, Ethiopian blends. We drink a lot of Peruvian and Ecuadorian coffee. And Brazil. And Brazilian. So we, have, we like a lot of the, the rich, fuller flavor. I want the like toffee, caramel, chocolate, deep, dark. Yeah, I'm not I'm not the fan of when it's like acidic with some cherry notes and things like that. That's not my favorite. Uh, on the back here it says about this blend, it's from Africa, Central and South America. And it says a half cup, sorry, a half full cup of wake up and wise up. No joke here, this is just a bright chocolatey concoction for the smart thinking, deep drinking, good at their game in the morning crowd. We're good at games in the morning. Look at us. Perfect I'm kind, coffee. I'm kind of like you, though. I don't get much chocolatey. I don't get much chocolate. I, I feel like this is a, this is not one that I'd have with dessert. Yeah. Yeah. It's too bright. It's too acidic. But I, I do like it. It's, it's, it's not too No, it's, bl- it's blended enough that, like, I wouldn't say it's chocolatey, but it is a little bit more toward that direction than most coffees that are blended with uh, African beans. I don't even know how to describe a coffee that's not chocolate or toffee. It, just pick a fruit, uh, and then that's it for me. Star anise. I'm sure it's one of those things like beer tasting. Like we can taste some things in beer, but we don't actually know. Like, all right, they've used this malt and they've used this hop. That's like the advanced level. That's like all coffee for me. We do have a full day ahead of us, or a full week ahead of us. This week, we are going yep. to BGG Con at the end of the week. Yeah. Taking the train down the BGG con, stay tuned because we got media badges. We're going to do some interviews and we're going to have some fun. Stay tuned. Follow us at Malt House Games. Okay. That was weird. That's our, that's our theme song for BGG con. Is that what it is? It's yes. a long theme song. You're welcome. We're also going to play some games with Nick and Jen this afternoon. Yeah. We're supposed to play with him online at some point, which means I can also shout out the Patreon patrons. Thank you. Allison, Alan, Jesse, Catherine, Jennifer, and Cliff. Thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon and being awesome. 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 What am I saying? Uh, it's early. Awesome contributors to the podcast, helping us keep things going. And I hope you're all enjoying your beer glasses. I believe Cliff's is the last one to arrive. It got super delayed. And I honestly don't even know if he has it yet. And I feel bad, but it's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I checked all the tracking and I, I've been like keeping an eye on everyone's. I wrote down when they were supposed to get there and I've been watching. His was the only one. So I messaged him and sent him the tracking number to make sure he had it. It says Monday now. Awesome. It's in his state. It looks like it's in his city. 
And so, then we got to give Tyler's to him this weekend. We see him at BGG Con. And that is the last one. I yes. have learned two things during this process. One, shipping is hella expensive if you want it to arrive safely. And two, uh, I don't have a lot of time in the day when the post office closes at six. <laughs> right. Like without taking off of work. Like post office, just go to seven, please. That's one more hour. That's all I ask. I want enough time to get home, get everything around, and then go. But, you know, that's fine. But yes, hopefully everyone's enjoying those 100th episode special beer glasses. If you want a beer glass from us or anything like that, uh, don't forget you can go to shop.malthousegames.com. We only have one beer glass up now. I am going to be working on some simple designs to throw up so we can have a couple choices because I want some more of our own glasses. We also have some sweet stickers on there. And t-shirts. Yeah, and a fanny pack. Right now it's all just logo stuff, but uh, I'm hoping to... Hoping to think of some cool ideas, or fun ideas at least, that are going to be easily translatable to a t-shirt or something. I'm so mad. I forgot I was going to get a fanny pack for BGGCon, and I forgot to order it. Yeah, it's not going to get here in time now. Yeah. It is not. Dang it. Oh, Sorry. Well. Womp womp. But I think that's all for this week that's coming up. That's kind of all we've been doing. I, we will have a lot more to talk about whenever the next episode drops after BGGCon. Uh, one more thing that I will say early on is our friends Alan and Sean from Tuesday Night Games. They do have a Kickstarter for the Mothership First Edition box set. It has all the changes and updates to Mothership. They're considering it the official First Edition. You can buy the deluxe box set for 100 You can buy the box set for uh, like 50 or 60 maybe. I don't remember the prices exactly. I apologize. Uh, they also have a storage box that I might do as an add-on that can hold everything. They have multiple add-ons coming at the end of the campaign. It's doing very well. And if you're interested, go check that out. There are plenty of interviews with Alan and Sean and everybody. And uh, yeah, check out Mothership on Kickstarter now. It's until the end of the month. Nice. With that being said, I say we move into the game and I'll drink some more coffee. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's, it's a game. So speaking of Jennifer and Nick, we are actually reviewing a game that they gifted us today. We are. Whenever we went to Portland and stayed at their house and played games and hung out with them and Mark and Sarah. For a magical week. It was a fantastic time and hopefully we get to do it again sometime. At least go see them and hang out with Jasper. He's a big boy. He is a big puppy. But they had uh, essentially, I, I called them door prizes. I don't remember what they called them. Uh, but essentially everybody had some little game or something that uh, they had gifted us very kindly. And we got Land, Air, and Sea, which is published by Arcane Wonders. Air, Land, and Sea is designed by John Perry, production John Rogers, art direction Stephen Gibson, illustration Valerio Buonfantino, graphic design is Stephen Gibson, rules William Niebling, and lead playtester is Montana Graboyas. So Air, Land, and Sea is a fairly simple uh, two-player card game. Uh, it's one of the card games that I consider, uh, I don't know that there's an exact term for it. I've talked about them before, but I always call them like a battle line game, right? So you have the game battle line, you have lost cities, you've got land, air, and sea, you've got rift force now where there's a middle dividing line between two players and you're both playing cards on the opposite side of the table. Generally, you're comparing values of the cards in some manner. Uh, this game follows that style except it is a game based, what's it look like, World War II? Yes, it's very World War II-esque. 
yes, it doesn't actually claim from what I can tell to directly be based on something. But it has the same font as Memoir 44, so you can kind of yeah, parse out that, yes, basically. it's World War II. Yeah, and it uses theaters, the land, air, and sea theaters of battle, and I know yes. that was like the Battle of Midway. Mm-hmm. They had the different, you know, people call them theaters and blah, blah, blah. So it's very World War II-esque without strictly stating it from what I can tell in the rulebook. And the ships and the planes are very much World War II era. Yes, they are, and the helmets and everything. So it's uh, a back-and-forth card game like that that's actually very simple, so it's pretty easy to explain. And it also doesn't include Nazis, so you don't have to feel bad playing. That's true. It's just As bad, I guess. <laughs> d- different colors with different things. So the way the game works is you have the three theaters in the middle of the table, air, land, and sea. Each player sets on either side. Uh, You randomly get assigned first player or second player. You get dealt six cards apiece, and then you play. And you are directly comparing the value of your cards on your side to the value of your opponents on each of the theaters. And two things can happen for a round, essentially, because it goes, I believe it goes three rounds. Yes, it goes three rounds. Okay, I think it's just that we've always basically gone three rounds it's to the first player to 12 victory points oh okay it's just worked out that we've always just done three yeah it's just always been short for us because i suck at this game um which is fine however (laughs) the way the game's going to play is you'll play cards this and that and then you'll compare and see if you can win the theaters on the field uh if you win the theaters you're going to get different amounts of points but one of the neat mechanics of this game and it's the one different one so for example on a turn i play down a let me get a little example. I can, uh, if I pick up the cards, it makes this much easier on me. And then I don't have to sound like I'm talking out of my butt. <laughs> so I play, let's say I play a green, uh, a green number three maneuver. I play that down. It says I can flip an uncovered card in an adjacent theater. So there's a lot of card flipping. If it flips, it's only worth two. But if it's straight up, it's worth whatever the value is. So some cards are going to get stronger, but that will also weaken other cards. Uh, Heavy Tanks is six. So let's say if I play a three on my side of the air theater, and then Haley goes to her air theater and she plays a four. Haley now has more value and can potentially win it unless I do something to either flip her four over or I add a card to my side to just pump up the value, something like that. Now depending on the number of cards in your hand at the end of a round is when that's going to depend on uh, the amount of points if you win. So essentially what it is is you want to control more theaters than your opponent at the end of a round. So to win a battle, you either control more theaters than your opponent after both players have played all of their cards or you convince your opponent to withdraw. And this is something that most games don't have, I feel, which is that withdraw factor. So at the end of a round, if I'm like, all right, I've got this much on air. Haley beat me on air. She wins air. I have this much on C. Haley has something on C. I win C. But then she also wins land. She has now won more theaters than me. She will win the round. If we've both played all of our cards out, she's going to get six points for that, which is a lot. Then, depending on if you're first or second player, it changes essentially under that. So if we're playing a game and I just feel like Haley is just going to dominate and I don't have a chance and let's say I'm second player, if I still have three or four cards in my hand, I can withdraw and say, you know what, never mind, we're gonna can't, I'm, I'm going to lose this one, I'm just going to withdraw. Haley's only going to receive three points. So withdrawing is actually a strong strategy if you don't think you have a capability to, capability to win. It's also how the game actually goes past three rounds. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that happens. 
You just stick to your guns too much and don't withdraw. <laughs> I do. And withdrawing is, the, it's honestly, that's the, the interesting element of this game that pushes it above a lot of the other like line battle games, I think, is that most games don't have that. It's you're going to play everything out and like you're like, you know, I, there's no way I can win. Why am I still doing this? We're just going to play in my hand. And not like in a negative way, but like if you get a bad hand, like you're not going to win. Exactly. But this game allows you, unlike yeah. others, to say, you know what? Let's just call it here. I've got, uh, let me take a look at like if I'm first player, I've got four cards in hand. I'm just going to withdraw. You're only going to get two points instead of annihilating me and getting six. Then we can move to the next one. I can hope to do better and recover those points plus more. So it's a really interesting mechanic, and the gameplay past that, it's very simple. Uh, the different air, land, and sea locations, they will shift on the board, and it's just like, a, it's one of those games that's a fun back and forth with this interesting strategic element of withdrawing that is, I have not figured out how to master that. That's something that I just can't reconcile in my head. I really like it because... Uh... You know, you have multiple chances to win. So like Delton said, you control land, air, and sea. You know, you could, you know, totally dominate in air one round. The next time you dominate in land or sea, like you, you constantly have chances and chances and chances to build up your arsenal, to build up your oh, military. Yeah. There's multiple. So you're not going to play one round and be like, oh, okay, well, I know I'm not going to win this game. Like, no, you're going to get a new hand of cards. Yep. It's kind of the luck of the draw combined with strategy. So I, I really like that part. And, you know, even though there's air, land, and sea cards, there are certain cards that will allow you to, like, move one of the airplanes to your uh, naval or move one of the uh, panzers or what order they called, the tanks, to, to the airplane part. Like, there's modifications you can make as well. And so just because you have, you know, five sea cards and one land card, it doesn't mean that you can't potentially manipulate the cards or move them depending on the powers, because every card has a different power that it uses too. Yeah, it is interesting that the different types of cards you have, they do dictate where you place them in which theater, and then they are potentially moved around. So I'm just looking at some of the cards here to kind of like look at some of the abilities. Uh, one of my favorite, uh, let's see if I can find where it went. There's one that I really, really like. I believe it's a land. Uh, yes, it's the Cover Fire, the four-level land card. It says all cards covered by this card are now strength of four. So covered is when uh, if you have a two down and then you have a one down and then the four is like the most recent card you've played, the way you play them overlapping so you can just see the name and number, is so it's covered them. So that would make those low-level or flipped cards at a strength of four. So that's like a very strong card. Uh, and one of my favorites, I always love stuff like that where you can turn around something with just a single play of one card. And some of the cards actually uh, allow you to manipulate the other player's field as well. So you can flip over their cards, like Delta said, so make a two or make a six a two. You can also, you know, if you have one that, like that one, every card underneath this is worth four. Well, you can move that to another area to potentially cost them points or screw up their strategy too. Yeah, like this five, Disrupt. Starting with you, both players choose and flip one of their uncovered cards. So if I had that cover fire making all my cards strong, and then you play Disrupt and I have to flip it, I now will lose that bonus benefit. So I really like this game because, like I said, there's multiple rounds, there's multiple uh, opportunities to build up your, your troops, build up your air, land, and sea, but you can have a lot of strategy in a little game. It's a very small game. It's probably, uh, the box is probably the size of a box that would hold two deck of cards. Uh, yep. 
but it's it's there's a lot of strategy, a lot of ability to plan, to manipulate your cards, manipulate your opponent's cards, and it's a quick play too. Yeah, it's one that we enjoy, and if it sounds like something you would like, it's very simple, it's easy to teach, it's easy to play. Uh, I think I had a single question the first time we played, and it was boom right there in the book. So definitely one worth checking out, but we really like it. Thanks again to Nick and Jennifer, uh, and that is Air, Land, and Sea from Arcane Wonders. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. Like we said, this game is very World War II themed. Uh, And so today's topic is war themes in games. We wanted to discuss war themes in games because they're very common, they're very popular, and they span in style dramatically, I feel, the games. Yes. So we thought it would be something worth touching on, especially because Land, Air, and Sea is a war-themed game without being a war-themed game, in my opinion. It's a very abstracted war-themed game. So in terms of this topic, if you say the term war game to somebody, depending on the person, they're going to think of two things. They're going to be like us, and it's a game based on war, or they're going to be the type of people that play war games, which are the extremely advanced, like very intricate, very long history of tiny pieces and soldiers and military. Axis and allies. Well, Axis and allies is super light for anything, even like that. Like there's... There's uh, some crazy ones out there. Oh, like the ones at Game HQ? Yes. Oh, gosh, yes. So all of those war games, a lot of those like GMT that makes Dominant Species mm-hmm. and uh, 1960 Making of the President, all that, they basically specialize mostly in war games. I mean, they have others, obviously, because stuff like you know Dominant Species in 1960, but they have a lot. So there's one that I really want to try called Sekigahara, The Unification of Japan. Everybody says it's a phenomenal game and that it's not one of it's not overly complicated, but it's still a war game and I want to play it really badly. It's one that's like on my wish list of I want to play. But there are so many different types of war games or war themed games. They do range from every soldier you have to keep track of effects if they have an injury, if they've got PTSD, if they've this and that, uh, like stuff that's that advanced and complex to keep track of. Then they have games like Air, Land, and Sea that is a war-themed game that gives you that feeling of playing planes and boats, but it doesn't have that attachment of single soldiers. It doesn't have the attachment of truly telling you what sides these are fighting. It's just a war. And so I feel like war themes can be anywhere from ambiguous to extremely detailed and historically accurate. So they're kind of all over the spectrum. Uh, In terms of my preferences, and then I'll bring up some of the games like that we own that are war themed. I think in terms of my preferences, I like historical accuracy in war games, and I like like Land, Air, and Sea, where it's ambiguous, right? It's this looks like World War II, never really says it that I could find. Uh, I enjoy that, or I enjoy accuracy. However, there's a point in accuracy where it's just over the line of too complex and too personal yeah like i was mentioning earlier this game is very world war ii-esque but you don't play no one plays a nazi i i it just feels very uncomfortable about taking on a fascist regime as your identity when you're playing a game like trying to get them to win i don't 
I, I feel like the atrocities of the Nazis are still trickling down into society to today. And I really feel like uh, it's, it's I, I'm not comfortable playing as a Nazi in a game. I'll say that. I'm not comfortable. Yeah. And so I really like what Lair, Air, Land, and Sea does is it has the World War II-esque feel, but you're not taking, you're not playing a Nazi. Yeah, that's understandable. And so is that, is the ambiguous nature of Air, Land, and Sea, that very abstracted version of war theme, uh, is that as far as you really want them to go? Or do you like more complex or does it just depend? Because I know you like Twilight Struggle. Yes. Given the Cold War is not a real war, but I know you enjoy it, but that's also, I guess, honestly, those games are kind of abstracted. Yes, I think it, it I, so whenever I say this, I'm not saying like one kind of theme is good or bad. And, you know, I might contradict myself and what I like and what I don't like, but, you know, I, I feel really uncomfortable like playing a, a Nazi and I haven't played Axis and Allies, but I think one side takes like the Axis powers. Yeah. And so that, that feels a little uncomfortable, but again, I am comfortable playing Twilight Struggle. I always take on a uh, communist Russia, but I do feel like it's a little more intricate. It's a little more, I'm not saying like I'm, I'm pro communist Russia by any means. Uh, Stalin was not a great dude, but it doesn't feel as well. Twilight Struggle. I think what's, what makes it feel so different and I know it's hard to put your finger on, right? These are topics that are, these are all, this is like a, a deep look into a theme, I feel like, because it can be so complicated and you can have differing opinions. I think it's because this one is more of the war side, whereas uh, Twilight Struggle is more of the ideology side. Twilight Struggle is very much ideology, but it's also very much a game that's teaching you history. Yes. With I'm all the cards being, this is a historical event. And the fact that it abstracts the quote-unquote war element. I think I like that because it, you are taking on the identity of the United States, which also didn't do a lot of great things, the United States and of you know, the Soviet Union. Yeah. But you're taking it on, but it's also, like Delton says, has teaching tools throughout. You're learning about it as you go. So it's not just like, I'm playing the communists or I'm playing the United States. It's, it's a little more than that. So we, we've talked about in the past, like, using... Uh, themes as like a, a teaching tool, you know, trying to be respectful of the history, using it as teaching, um, not making light of it. And I, I feel like Twilight Struggle does a good job of, you know, the different roles have different powers. You know, the Soviet Union is stronger in the first round and a half, the United States is stronger in the second round and a half. And so it really does a good job of like teaching the back and forth of the Cold War like you're on the brink of nuclear disaster at any time. Uh, whereas, you know, there are other games that use war. So, for example, there's, what, what's the foxhole game? The Grizzled. The Grizzled. Like that one, and again, this is just personal preference. I'm not saying it's a good or a bad game. But that one, it does uh, talk about the atrocities of war. It is a very educational game where you're basically playing uh, World War I soldiers in foxholes. But for me, I, I've read so many books on like the, personal accounts of World War One soldiers that for me and how bad it and was how bad it was and just how as torturous it was and I just I can't play that because I've read so many of the personal stories that it just makes me feel sad. I don't like it. It is a teaching game, but it just makes me feel too sad. It's way too personal, way too real. And the artwork is like these little grizzled soldiers in, mm -hmm. in foxholes and they're, like they're in trenches is what in it trenches. Is. Yeah. And all I can think about is know the World War One accounts that I've read, and it just, I have no desire to play that. 
and that makes sense because I mean that game is it's it's a game about about World War One about soldiers at that time in the trenches and it's it's one of those I don't know just very uh, that one feels like if you're playing it and you understand where it comes from it's going to be an emotional game for being a simple game I've never got to play it and I really want to Haley won't play it with me which is fine uh, I'm gonna have to maybe at BGG Con I can get it out and try it but um, that's one that takes a theme but takes you on a more with the artwork and everything seems to be potentially a little more of a emotional play into an emotional abstracted play into kind of a war theme in a game. But that does make sense. It's hard to choose like when you want to play stuff. Like I bought you labyrinth war on terror, which is same style as twilight struggle, same style as our 1989, whatever that game's called. I can't remember the one that's like a Soviet game. It's that same style labyrinth is, but it's uh, the War on Terror. Does it start with Desert Storm? What's it start with? No, it starts with uh, the War on Terror is 2003. Oh, okay. So it starts 2003. Um, and that one, the thing with it is, it's the, kind of the same thing as Twilight Struggle. It's abstracted in terms of its true conflict. I'm using quotations there, conflict. Or its true battles or anything. It's abstracted, but it's educational and teaching you with cards that give you hist- historical little moments and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So I feel like it's one of those that, like, if you gave me a board game, you're like, all right you guys are playing this and we're going to play here. And this is the war on terror in 2003. It's like, Oh, that's kind of (laughs) recent, you know? Um, but I feel like it does a good job just abstracting enough that style that makes it a little easier to get into. Now, if there was a world war one game abstracted like that, would that be something you'd be interested in? Or is it still just a little too much? I think it would, because it's not, it's, it's about the war. It's not about the personal accounts. That makes sense. And so with, with labyrinth, uh, I have mixed feelings about it. Of course. You know, it is, yes, it teaches you things too, but, uh, you know, talking about it, it, especially with, you know, us withdrawing from, or United States withdrawing from Afghanistan yeah, and basically leaving a power vacuum for, you know, uh, very harmful organizations to take over, very uh, oppressive organizations taking over. Like, it, it's hard to play that game right now. Yeah. Well, one, the United States kind of created the presence of the terror organization because of Reagan administration, Charlie Wilson and the Mujahideen in the 1980s. But also because, you know, with so many Afghan folks who are coming over to the United States, especially in Oklahoma, Oklahoma is receiving a lot of refugees right now. Yeah. You know, it's it's hard for me to want to pick up and play that game whenever it's an act of trauma right now oh 100 percent. and so i like the idea of the game but i don't i can't play it right now i can't play the the theme and also it's i don't know if i'm going to be able to for a very long time it's yeah it's an act of trauma and i have a hard time role playing an act of trauma and that makes sense even if it's presented in a historical sense which it is yeah it's it's still a little too fresh kind of like what i'm talking talking about with the World War II games earlier, like playing as Nazis, like, well, that's still a little fresh. Do we really want to give Nazis another presence in anything, even for good or bad? Right. Like, and, you know, maybe I'm contradicting myself with the Twilight struggle. I just see it differently. And I also really like the game, so maybe that's putting on some blinders. Maybe. But I just, I have a hard time playing Labyrinth. And, like, I again, I understand that it's written from a historical sense. You know, from what I understand, they had a lot of uh, like feedback when it comes to making it culturally appropriate. Yeah, but I just I I can't I can't play it right now. 
I don't know if I'm going to be able to because it's too fresh and the atrocities are too real and it's an active, I said it's an active trauma. And that makes sense. I mean, you can't fault someone for not wanting to play something based on theme and, and, and things like that. And like you said, I mean, we are, we are getting Afghan re- refugees in Oklahoma very excited for what they can do here. I want to see, see a part of town that's little Afghanistan instead of like Chinatown or in our like our Asian district in Oklahoma like City. Like another one, like not I want, instead, but like No, no, another. I want to see another one and I want to see like Afghani food and I want to see, you know, the the interesting culture and products and produce and food that all just everything that they can bring, I think is going to be exciting. Yeah, cuz like in in uh during Vietnam, yep. Oklahoma brought in a lot of Vietnamese refugees and we do have a little um Vietnam in Oklahoma City. And it's an amazing part of the city. It is one yeah. of the the uh, most cherished, beloved, wonderful districts. Oh, yeah. And so I'm very excited, and we welcome the Afghanistan refugees to Oklahoma. Oh, 100%. And so, you know, in being welcoming like that, it makes it very hard to want to play out their trauma. And that makes sense. Anyway. Yeah. But that's, that's the thing with war games, right? It, it kind of depends on where you stand on different ones thematically and how abstracted or historical or educational you want one to be to make you comfortable playing it. And that's just difficult. Everybody has their own line. Everybody has their own space. They have their own preferences. And that's, I mean, that's why the board game world's so big, right? Because there's all kinds. So like in terms of us, we have Airland and Sea. We have Labyrinth, War on Terror. It's by the way, it's 2001 to question mark War on Ah, Terror. And then they've got you know, the update expansions that are like 2007 to question mark. And they like slowly update it. I think the new one is finally going to be ended there. I don't know what the changes are made. I haven't looked into that. We have Twilight Struggle. We have your 1989 Soviet game. That's the same style, but I don't know exactly what that's on. I have not played that. We've got Access and Allies, which I also haven't played, which is fine. Yeah, Pax Premier. Pax Premier, which is easily one of my favorites. And part of the reason Pax Premier is so good Historical view, educational, abstracted, and it presents things in probably a little more historical way mm-hmm. rather than the English and the Russians are trying to take Afghanistan. It's like, no, 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 Here's how this actually went. They did this, but, and like brings in other elements that I really enjoy and I think is uh, smart when you read into it, right? When you read some of the historical stuff. Uh, we've got Memoir 44, which is... Like you recreate D-Day. So that's one that's very light, very easily accessible to families, but it's a very real, and it is exactly giving you historical things. It says, here's this play thing, this scenario you're playing. Here's the real war. Here's the real story. We're going to let you play this out. That one I could see going both ways. It's light enough and simple enough. I could see people liking it, but I could also see it being like, you know, I don't want to be replaying real scenarios. I want a fantasy war game or something. That's one of those. But I do enjoy it. The thing for me, it boils down to, I don't want to play an act of trauma. I don't want to play a game that is too individualized in the trauma. Yep. Uh, I want a game that is more abstracted and that if it's not too abstracted, teaches me the history of it and doesn't give Nazis a platform. That's, that's what I want. Basically it. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. So, no, I don't want to play as Stalin, but it's fun playing as the USSR and learning about, because every time I play Twilight Struggle, I learn something new. Oh, for sure. About World War II. And so it's fun playing that out. Cold War? 
Cold War, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> and so it was fun playing that out, but also I don't, you know, I'm engaging in the space race. I'm engaging in, you know, building up my nuclear arsenal, but I'm, I'm not actively killing someone. Yeah. I'm not actively, um, in the game at least, uh, taking, like, committing genocide. Like, I don't, I don't yeah. want to play that out. That is not something I want to play. So how about, uh, and this is because I notice it behind your head, how about games like when we played Crusades, Thy Will Be Done, or sorry, Crusaders from TMG, because that one, I was like, the Crusades are absolutely terrible, but then you play it, and it has nothing to do with a history, it's very, very, very abstracted, just an interesting mechanic with the theme of Crusaders, without acknowledging, I, I don't know if the rulebook acknowledges the horrors that the Crusaders did historically um but that's that one's kind of on its own little category too i think that's one of the reasons why we haven't covered it because we've talked about covering it on the podcast but the crusades but were it's uh, horrid and so for me like i don't really want to cover that game because yeah. it, it doesn't like the crusades like enough people already like idolize the crusades yeah and so i don't want even if it's just abstracted it just feels uh-huh. like another way to kind of idolize the Crusades. Yeah, I mean, we can way. say the game's good. The game's good. The game's the, fun. It's just that the theme is yeah. just like, ugh, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to give a platform to the Nazis. I don't want to give a platform to the Crusaders. <laughs> right. Yeah. No. It's it's one of those themes that uh, I, I believe the Crusaders, in my opinion, is one of those elements of history that you just see the cool armor and like the cool historical you know, depictions of this is what they wore and this is how they this. And it's like, that's really neat. But no one really knows the shit that went down and how bad some of the accounts are. And it's like, read into it. And you're like, oh my God, they did horrible things. Absolutely terrible things. And I mean, at, at, at one point, they basically sacked Byzantium, Christians killing Christians for the same God makes no sense. But uh, the Crusades were a wacky time and not pleasant at all for people that weren't essentially Catholic history but i understand and that's the thing right bringing up a game like that we could talk about it say this is a really good game but now we're going to tell you why the theme is bad and it's like how much do you want to hear us talk about bad theme or issues with theme because we do that a lot because it does matter for us it's important um i don't know there's a there's a line for everybody and we have to find our own for the podcast content as well Mm -hmm. and maybe one day we need to have an episode of just here's the games we have issues with the (laughs) issues (laughs) with the theme i don't know it's tough to say just all games should be plant themed. That's it. Plants are good. Plants are good. And cats. Plants and cats. And dogs. That forever from now on, we are making a rule you can only have animal and plant themes in your games. Perfect. Done. I'll take it. Uh but yes, yeah, so all kinds of war games. Find what you like. Find what style you like. Find what theme you like. Uh if you play something that someone else doesn't want to, that is just fine that you want to play it. It is just fine that they don't want to play it. I think that's the big takeaway here. Uh but there's a lot that you can learn. And there's a lot that you can simulate, and there's ones like Land, Air, and Sea that simplify enough that you can honestly kind of even ignore the theme without much thought because it's, this card's blue and has a number three. And I can also see where someone might look at this theme and be like, it's not addressing the atrocities, and I can see that too. Or it's not being accurate enough. Or it's not being accurate enough. Or it's like any argument brushing over the uh, horrors of war. And I, I can see that too, and that's of a course. valid point of view. I think so. I mean, that's the big thing, the big takeaway for us is your feelings are valid. Your thoughts on board games are valid. You find what you want. We have ones we love. We have ones that we don't love. That's board games. 
So real quick, before we go to the question, we actually have one more coffee drink this morning. I have finished all my hot coffee, except for the couple grounds in the bottom of the cup. Oh, I drank those grounds. I'm not going to get a lot of this. Just a little bit. Just just a little bit. Don't want too much sugar in my belly before I have my biscuits and gravy. I mean, I might drink more later, depending, or I might just make another hot pot. So this is from, there is a brand, you guys will see it in the store, with a very, I'm going to say pear-shaped container. It's a brand called Califia. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. Uh, they make like oat milk, probably what I think is the best oat milk on the market. Um, they make all kinds of stuff like that and coffee creamers and things like that. This is a pumpkin spice latte cold brew coffee with almond milk uh, that they ended up carrying at Aldi and Haley picked up. And it's basically a, a cold brew pumpkin spice latte. Because I'm basic. You can smell the spices. It tastes sweet. It almost reminds me of... Uh, what was your your pumpkin roll that you made? Yeah, my pumpkin it reminds roll. me of your pumpkin roll because the the almond creamer, almond milk creamer, provides that little bit of creaminess, and then the sugar makes it sweeter, and then the pumpkin spice is there, but it also is like a full texture; it's not thin. Ooh, you know what we should do after this podcast? Hmm. I have that pumpkin spice creamer. We should make little pumpkin spice lattes with my pumpkin spice whipped cream. Oh, we could. We can make it. We could be super basic. Super basic. And proud. But this, uh, if you like pumpkin spice, and I don't like cold brew, but when it's like this, I'm okay with it. If it's just straight cold coffee on ice, can't handle it. Don't like yeah, it. same here. But this is pretty good. Uh, we've had this in the fridge for a minute. We probably need to make sure it's still good, Oh, actually. no, I've, I've bought multiple containers, Dell. This is like our third one. Oh, Jesus, you drink a lot. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, th- I just opened this like two days ago. <laughs> well, there you go. But it's it's very good if you like pumpkin spice, if you like cold brew. It's one that we recommend so far. And it makes me want to try some of their other cold brews whenever they do different seasonal ones. We have had their uh, eggnog as well, which is good. Yes. And so question of the episode. And now, join us for a Malt House Games podcast special bite-sized question. So the question for today is unrelated to the game and the topic. It is going to be, what is the, like, one thing you're looking forward to most at BGG. I want to see my friends. Okay, outside of seeing our friends. Damn it. Because, of course, that's the answer for both of us is yeah. seeing all of our friends. I'm also excited to take the train down. Delton and I took a train down to Austin a few years ago, and it was really fun. I'm excited to take the train down again, and uh, we get to ride the Heartland Flyer and then get on the Texas Eagle for a hot minute. And so I'm really excited to take the train down and back because... One, the train is fun, and two, I hate the drive to Dallas. That's miserable. It's miserable. I will gladly drive double if I'm driving somewhere else, but for some reason, I just hate the I-35 drive to Dallas, so I'm excited for the train with my sweetie to go see my friends. I also am excited for the train and to do all that. I think I'm most excited that this year we have media badges, and don't hold me to it, don't quote me, but I'm going to try to make Haley talk to people on camera, or at least maybe do some recordings for podcast stuff. So if you guys don't know, we, we kind of have a system where Delton, because Delton recognizes all the designers and the artists and all that jazz. So he'll point someone out, tell me a bit about them, dispatch me. I'll go introduce myself and I'll say, hey, this is my husband, Delton. Because I am yeah. assertive. She is assertive and that's how we work. But uh, I always find that it's hard. I'm always like, you know, I'm going to film videos when we go. I'm going to film this. We're going to do that. And then I get there and I'm like, I don't want to be that guy. 
on his phone filming stuff. I just want to enjoy and use my eyeballs. Now we have to because we have media badges. Uh, yeah, that's the problem is I get freaking anxiety about it, essentially. And I'm like, I don't want to be that guy that's over here like, hey, yo, what up, fam? Welcome to YouTube. This is my channel. We're going to be in here playing board games. I you know, would love this. Dab, dab. <laughs> what up? And like, the, yeah, yeah, get off my back. Uh, anyway, we're going to try to do some stuff, hopefully take a look and at least get uh, some small chats in with some of our friends, things like that. Our friends. So I'm excited. It's going to be great. BGGCon's awesome, but uh, we're ready for it. If you're going to be going, try to find us. We will be walking around masked, vaxxed, happy, ready to go, caffeinated, motivated, vaccinated, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, feel free if you're at BGGCon and want to meet up or say hi or play a game together, feel free to DM us on our Twitters. At Malthouse Games, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games. You can find me at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, if you want to send us a topic you want us to talk about, a question for us to answer on the show, anything like that, send an email to contact at malthousegames.com. Don't forget to go to our website, malthousegames.com, to see the games we've covered and kind of look at that stuff. Even though it's the, I'm finding the pages having a hard time loading because there's too much on one. There's a lot of content, but I don't know how to get it to give me multiple without having like game page one, game page two, game page three, and then it just yes. clutters. I have to figure it out. Uh, but you can go there. You can also go to shop.malthousegames.com to go to our Teespring store. Get you a fanny pack, y'all. I think that that covers everything for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to the episode that almost didn't happen, episode 105 of the Malthouse Games podcast. We'll be getting this out in two hours and 18 minutes, by God. Yeah, I'm fixing to start editing right now. So until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.